gentlemen, tonight's grand entertainment. But before we dive head first into this pile of gold before you, a couple of quick warnings from your most humble of MCs. Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and situations that may be considered inappropriate for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Also, there is a very high probability that spoilers can and will occur for both the One Piece film gold movie and for the entirety of the One Piece series as a whole. So please, do be cautious if you are not yet caught up with the One Piece story at risk of falling victims to spoilers on the high seas. And the opinions expressed here tonight are of the individual participants and do not reflect upon the Dob Talk podcast as a whole. Now, with that out of the way, Please enjoy your stay at Grand Tesoro. And don't forget, we are the ones that tell you when it's okay to laugh. You want to know why? Because that's entertainment. Enjoy! Gentlemen, we of the Dub Talk Podcast give you tonight's entertainment. Tonight we drop anchors, come ashore to a land of golden glory. A place where high rollers, risk takers, and thrill seekers alike all come together for the chance to go big or go home. You're in for a good night tonight. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, yeah. You're in for a good time tonight, ladies and gentlemen. But don't forget this. We are the ones who tell you when it's okay for you to laugh. So, as part of the Summer Log special extravaganza, the Dub Talk podcast will journey to the land of Gran Tesoro, all for the chance to discuss and review the dub of One Piece Film Gold! I am your MC for the night, the golden boy himself, Andrew Classy Spartan Lepselta. And joining me tonight is the ever so lovely Lady of the Seas, known by many names and many personas, but most importantly for tonight's show in particular, she is a renowned One Piece historian in her tentatively titled History of One Piece series. Give it up for Miss Zenith Will Rule. Hello, everybody. I am Zenith Will Rule, and I am so, so happy to uh, be on Dub Talk once again to talk about something that I love and in a format that Toei will not take down. Um, we are talking oh. about... Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have to interrupt you for a second. I am being informed that we have just received a desist notice. Ooh-wee, we're off to a good start. We didn't even start recording yet. God damn it. Um, <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> um, 
but yes, I uh, I review One Piece on the internet. I am currently working on the Captain Kuro arc, and I have been for a little bit. I've just tr been trying to um, catch up with One Piece so that I know what's going on in the future, uh, because it ties very, very heavily to what's going on even in the past. Uh, currently in One Piece, there's a big big thing coming on where a bunch of the past characters are coming back and I really wanted to be knowledgeable of everything that's going on currently before I started Kuro because Kuro is when a lot of the major things start happening um but yeah uh, I I've been actually covering a lot of the One Piece movies while I do that and I, I've covered One Piece film Z in a in a review and my Strong World review may be down at the moment, but it is a crossover with Isaac, uh, Media Hunter, and I will get it back up in a month. Uh, it, it, like, they tried to take it down, I got it back up, and now it's just blocked worldwide, so we'll, we'll get it back stop, up. But any stop, we run this ship full sail, motherfucker. Um... Sorry. Also, uh, if, if I may ask, uh, Captain Kuro, I believe that's where, uh... Usopp officially joins the crew, if I'm correct? Yes, that that is the introduction of Usopp, and that's where a lot of major things happen, um, in, including where they first get the Going Mary, their ship, where they first oh, get... Oh, yeah, that is they, where that happens. They first get their flag, they first get um, basically the semblance of a crew, and it, it stops being just a bunch of people just randomly drifting around the ocean into a group of people sailing together. Um, so they, it, And then they become more close than family, if you will. The Nakama. Yes. I, I still love the meme of, like, the... There is no word in the English language that could possibly translate to the power that is Nakama. It's like, okay, okay, settle down, buddy, settle down. Um... um <laughs> So, uh, actually, since we are talking about the One Piece timeline, and you spent a lot of time recently catching up, would you mind telling us where, chronologically, this particular film takes place in the storyline? Well, it's interesting because, um, film go- uh, the past three films in, in the One Piece franchise actually have direct involvement from Oda. Uh, One Piece film Z, uh, could possibly take place at a certain point in the timeline, and One Piece Strong World could take uh, place at a certain point in the timeline as well. But the, th the interesting thing about this is that this takes place um, technically directly after the Dressrosa arc, the Doflamingo arc, and they specifically say that uh, Doflamingo was defeated by the Straw Hats. However... All of the Straw Hats are present, and during Dressrosa, there is a split where half of the Straw Hats go forth over onto the Zoe arc. So, from that point in the middle of the Dressrosa arc, uh, the Straw Hats split apart, and to this day, they have not actually fully reconvened, because during the Zoe arc, they don't actually come together again they split into like a bunch of different parties afterwards so this film canonically 
does not exist in the One Piece timeline. You could possibly say that about Strong World, and you could definitely say that about Film Z uh, from where they take place. Here... So, basic, so basically speaking, this can exist after Dressrosa, but there's a couple of inconsistencies in between that don't make it completely 110% canonical. Yes, um, like, you could stretch it, but even still, like, everyone's here, and unless something happens directly after the Whole Cake Island arc, which is where I just started reading right now, um, th this, this cannot take place, but it has direct involvement from, uh, Eiichiro Oda, and it, it, it shows, because of the, the references from so many things that we'll get into. I'll say this though, uh, what, when you start the Whole Cake Island, you're in for an emotional roller coaster. But first things first, the show must go on. And it is time for us to talk about the people behind the scenes, making sure everything goes all according to Keikaku. Translators note, Keikaku means plan. Now, it is time for us to discuss the ADR directors and scriptwriter for One Piece Film Gold. And since this is a review, we don't even have to go into any predictions we had. Though, I could say at the very least, when it comes to the One Piece Funimation dub, for main ADR, there are two main people that are ever-changing all the time. It is either Mike McFarland, or, as is the case for this particular movie, Mr. Joel McDonald himself. Joel McDonald has done ADR direction for shows such as Bison Wolf, Dead, Dead Man Wonderland, and Assassination Classroom Season 1. Assisting in him with his ADR is Colleen Clinkenbeard, who you might know from such works as My Hero Academia, Okami-san and her Seven Companions, and Brothers Conflict, alongside Afia Yu, who has done ADR work for Assassination Classroom both Season 1 and sees taking over completely for season two, the disastrous life of Psyche K and Koro Sensei Quest. And our scriptwriter for tonight's entertainment is Clint Bickham, otherwise known for such shows as Barakamon, Clanid, and Clanid After Story, and No Game No Life, and of course, the One Piece anime dub. So, as for the series in general and this particular movie. Where do you stand on the ADR voiceover direction and the script? Um, honestly, uh, I think this is the best uh, ADR and script that One Piece has ever had. Um, granted, yeah, um, I, granted I haven't seen all of the films, but like I said, I reviewed Film Z, I reviewed Strong World, I think Strong World has its, has its problems, um, but this is this is actually my favorite One Piece film, and it's partially due to the direction of the dub. It's partially due to the script. It's partially due to a lot of things. But I think overall, what they really really do well here is keeping it One Piece and having fun with that. But at the same time, uh, the script is uh is is not just well handled but they managed to get across a lot of these really great puns 
that I can only imagine in the Japanese version of the show and of, of the movie, uh, th- they would have done the same thing. Uh, a lot of the problems you have when translating something that has major puns, like One Piece, is that they tend to be very Japanese cultural puns. Here, everything works so well. The way they, they, the way they capture a lot of this, and um, I just want to point to a specific example. Uh, I was rewatching it for like the the third time uh, before we started watching this, and there's a a a, a, a pun where uh, Robin takes out a bunch of guards subtly. And she says, you know, I can be a little bit handy at times. Oh, like, yeah, I remember that part. That was great. Yeah, it, it's it's those little touches that, that shows that the direction is very much in the spirit of One Piece, because Robin would say that. But and it don't is... forget, Brooke is basically just an entire skeleton's closet full of puns. Oh, yes. And Brooke is a lot of fun in this, too, especially because there's a point where, like, the they, they have to infiltrate a, a, a part of the... They're, they have to infiltrate They have to infiltrate a scene where there's heat-seeking owls, and they, they catch sight of Brooke. Brooke's screaming, and it's like, oh, it only captures it only captures the body signature of living things. It's like, aww. It's like... <laughs> Uh, every time Brooks on screen and says things, it's it's a riot. But yeah, just make you laugh your bones off. <laughs> uh, the, the the thing I love about this direction is that they manage to capture One Piece in its silliness and its goofiness, but they never go over the top, and nothing feels forced. Um, in in Strong World, I'm not sure if it's the Japanese because like I only. I've only reviewed the English dub for these movies because if I review the Japanese, it'll be a history of One Piece. But, um, you know, Strong World has its problems in the fact that it really forces a lot of these puns. This does not. And I think that's what really, really works about the direction and the mindset going into it. I'm not sure who directed um, both of those past films, but the ADR and the script writing here, in this case, is specifically wonderful. I would have to agree with you on that particularly. There's a lot of on-screen chemistry, chemistry and dynamic presentation of everything going on, all the characters. Like, throughout this entire movie, the majority of the One Piece, like, the pirates have to work together for what is an Ocean's Eleven heist movie, so they always have to kind of be on the same field together most of the time. So you've, of course, got the big action set pieces, but then you have the cooperation of how they have to work together, get past traps, as well as a bunch of comedic timing for some of these things. I think, while I I, I could talk about it more later, one of the best, like, scenes of direction from several characters was when they were impersonating the celestial dragons to get past. <laughs> oh and my god, oh my god. <laughs> everything that those characters brought to the table in that scene, like, I- I'll talk about it more when I bring up Usopp, but oh my god, it's like, I think Sunny Straight basically just did a flat-out Futurama Richard Nixon impression. It's- it was amazing. Usopp is legendary, and we'll get to that. <laughs> 
Oh my god. We shall, but <laughs> I think at the very least, both of us are in strong consensus that the ADR and script for this movie is very, very strong. Yes. Um, if I can touch briefly upon uh, just the nature of this film, I know we, we're, we're reviewing the dub, but I just want to touch briefly on... You, you mentioned that this is basically Ocean's Eleven. Um, this is that I did. Ocean's Eleven meets Fast and the Furious. Um, and I've been doing a lot Wait, of stuff. Wait, Fast with... and the Furious? Yeah, there's an entire sequence in like the beginning of the film where they go on this old school race against other people it is kind of a race though okay wait i think i might know where you're going with fast and furious are you talking about how the crew is basically a giant family and that's similar to fast and furious that but also in fast five which i haven't covered yet uh they they turn it into oceans 11 which is a heist film and they do kind of uh a lot of what they do in here so you know i i love this to death (laughs) very much yeah no it's a it's a fun adventure all around and it's definitely got a lot to show though i think this is a good segment to talk about a group of characters some of which are first appearing in this movie in terms of the dub we will be discussing three members of the revolutionary army uh Sabo, Luffy's long-lost brother, long thought to be dead, as well as Koala, a a member of the army who is proficient in fishman karate, as well as a third entry for this film, a non-canon member, if you will, a Mr. Ray's Max, who was basically a big gambling man who lost it all when he came to Gran Tesoro and was imprisoned in the gold mines, if you will. So, what did you think of... We could, we could, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to Sabo and Koala, especially since you're past Dress Rosha and you probably have a couple of things to say on them. But what did you think of Ray's Max in this movie? Alright, well, first of all, um, I loved Ray's Max. He's basically a parody of the old Western um, hero, and I love how he, he walks, like, all the time and, like, talks really, like, old-school Western. Um, I, I was not expecting this character, but it, it ties very much with the Revolutionary Army and ties everything to Dressrosa in a very good way. Um I, I think they chose the perfect person for this role, and I think um, what it does is it's not only hilarious, but it shows kind of the ties of the Revolutionary Army that they have a lot of these um, legends, because Ray's Max himself is a legend, and when they bring him up and they showcase that he's not just all talk, like uh, there, there's a scene where he basically stops a gigantic fan blade um, through sheer determination alone. Yeah, and this, what the hell was that scene? <laughs> this <was> guy. <laughs> you know what? You know what? He, Grace Max actually reminds me of. He reminds me very much of Ichia from Fairy Tale. Since I've been going through Fairy Tale a bunch throughout this entire year, he's got almost a same similar physique and a similar that he is kind of a badass but really goofy, weird looking, but. 
really weird, goofy-looking is just the nature of the beast in One Piece. There are some, there are some colorful character designs, but I really enjoyed Race Max in this well, and I also really enjoyed his English voice actor Garrett. I'm going to butcher your last name. I apologize, Mr. Garrett Schneck. S C H E N C K Schneck. Also known for such roles as Ward Second in Fairy Tale and Grandfather Tachibana in Dance with Devils. But we have two other members of the Revolutionary Army to discuss. While they don't have a big function in this movie, they're important to bring up because they will be big come dress Rosha. And this is their first. English debut for these characters. Uh, Koala is voiced by Jeannie Tirado, who you might know for such roles as Koyuki in Fuka, Yume from Grimgar Ashes and Illusions, and Zira from Fairy Tale Zero. And Sabo's voice actor is no stranger to the anime voice acting world, Mr. Vic Minagamagamaga. I'm sorry, I meant Mr. Vic Minyana. Otherwise known for such roles as Edward Elric in Full Metal Alchemist, Ikaku Madarame in Bleach, and Mard Gear in Fairy Tale. Now, what did you think of Koala and Sabo? Um, first of all, I want to say that it's interesting that they did this. Um, I saw this film when it premiered in theaters back in January, and uh, it, it's interesting because. The anime still hasn't gotten to the point that these people appear. Like, they're in the middle of Fishman Island for the dubbing. And right now, Koala hasn't even appeared in Fishman Island. She's a big part of that. But they still have a long way to go before they reach these characters. But hearing them for the first time in this movie... Oh my god. Um... First of all, let's touch upon Koala because she is she is essentially uh, exactly the way I pictured her to sound. She's not very um, she's not too soft spoken, but she's not very bold either. Uh, and Koala herself as a character is a tough one to pull off because while they don't really show it in this film, uh, she is a character that has so much trauma in her past, and she has a lot of layers. I from, think th from, from what I've gathered, I don't know. I'm still not quite at the, knowing the material for Dressrosa, but from what I gather, Koala sounds like somebody with a similar story to Nami, except she got a happy ending without getting part of a pirate crew. Um, not exactly. You don't, you don't have to go. You don't have to go into all of it, but I've heard some stuff. All I could say is she's had a better experience with the Fishmen than Nami had originally. Yes, in, in a sense, yes. And um, she really showcases a lot of that complexity here because while she does have that kind of tone, kind of like Nami, um, she she's very headstrong and takes charge, but you can sense a lot of vernal, uh, but you can sense a lot of vulnerability in her character. And I think that brings across um, by the actress herself. Now, granted, they I, they don't go into depth with it here, but I can sense... Understandably so, because they really do have about as brief a cameo as 
humanly possible, but I can say I've, as of the amount of time I've been covering Jeannie Tirado and her growing influence when it comes to broadcast dubbing, I've really come around on her as an actress who can pull off so many different ranges in terms of like comedic timing, really dramatic beats, as well as like being a badass when she needs to. I have complete confidence in Jeannie Tirado as an actress at this point, and I feel she's going to do justice to this character when they come around to doing like the real shit for Dressrosa. Oh yeah, and it's not just Dressrosa, because I mean, Koala... Koala is her major role is in Fishman Island, so we're gonna see a lot of her there. And I'm not sure if Jeannie's gonna do that because Koala, um, essentially, it's her childhood there. And then I I think she can pull off like a younger childhood thing. I say that. But speaking of traumatic childhoods, what do you think of Sabo? Okay, okay. Um, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say this right now. Vic Mignano was perfect, perfect casting for Sabo. Oh my god. When I when I first saw Sabo in this movie, I'm like, oh my god. But the just I I, I cannot put into words how perfect this casting choice is. Basically he's Vic fucking Mignana doing Vic fucking Mignana basically but but even more so than that like you can you can definitely hear a little bit of the Edward Elric in this role but but the thing is uh you know Edward Elric was a much more headstrong character Sapo is very very carefree and just Vic, Vic is letting loose in in everything in this role like he he has so much fun with it and um, I am so excited. I'm so excited to see him the actual, uh, and the actual anime because this role, while small, he kicks out of the park. I'm very excited to see what they've got to offer for. And though we touched on it already, Garrett, Garrett as Ray's Max is freaking perfect. And I actually, even if we're never going to see him again, because let's face it, we're never going to see him again. Ray's Max did a great job, had a lot to add to this movie, and even though he was a goofy little old guy, he was kind of a badass, who could definitely take on the hurt when it came to him. Now, speaking of taking on the hurt and coming early, let's talk about Dice now. What did you think of Dice? Dice is an interesting character. Now, um, he—he—he's, he, he, you know, he. Re- I, I'm going to be saying this a lot. Okay, let's just get the obvious out of the way. This is somebody who completely gets off to pain. He smashes his face in to break open giant ass hurt, like giant ass, like steel ton worthy, like shuffle things, and he's just. It's like Hulk Hogan if he was getting off to you on that tape that was allegedly... Oh, that we're going in a direction with that. Oh, man. What was the reason for that axe again? What was the reason for that axe? Just to look cool. <laughs> um, I don't know. He... he... <laughs> I'm going to be saying this a lot in this review, but... This reminded me a lot of Dress Rosa, 
in in many ways, but um, this character reminds me a lot of Senor Pink from Dressrosa uh, in the fact that, you know, he's a character that Frankie fights and he is also a pervert. However, Senor Pink was a little bit of a better character because... They- we, we can... I've... I, I know about Senior's pig character, and that is a fascinating subject for another time. Dice has, is, Dice is, it's a two-hour movie, but a Dice doesn't have enough complexity to even compete with Senior Pink, I'll say that. Yes, but without revealing I'll say, anything. I'll say, Dice, in English, is played by Mr. Tyson Reinhardt. He's the voice of Daru from Steins Gate, Ota from Ping Pong the Animation, NG Koma in Tokyo Ghoul, and since we are discussing One Piece tonight, he is the voice of the giant Oimo from One Piece. If you remember from uh, the Ennies Lobby arc, he is one of the two giants that Usopp basically befriends and helps them out and helps them escape when it comes to getting out of Ennies Lobby. That was... Yeah, that was that was Tyson Reinhardt. And I feel he doesn't have a lot to say in this, but what he brings to the table is Oh, like you could just basically you you feel the intensity and the passion that he feels when it comes to a fight it comes to a <laughs> you are you're horrible and I love it but um what I love about this is that for such a minor character and yeah he's he's still a bit more major than some of the others we talked about but for such a minor character he goes all out with it he reminds me a lot of uh he he reminds me a little bit of Frankie in the way he does things like he he is he is full 100% with every line he reads and when he first is introduced, like, he's a character that I just fell in love with because, like, he's so, like, I'm all, like, just gonna go in and, and punch some stuff, and I'm gonna go all out, and then he switches over to the, um, uh, the, oh my god, I had so much pleasure in that pain thing, and he has so much passion in that performance, too. And Basically, he could have easily been, like, a character that was just a beef manly tough man and then he's just got this kind of reaction mm-hmm. um it's the actor that really sells it because again this could have been a one note um one-off performance because he doesn't get too too much in the fights uh but he what he does bring across is great and again seeing this in the theater i'm like i love this character i you know they're not gonna bring these characters back but if they were to bring him back i would be fine with it because he's such a fun performance Hmm. he is definitely a very fun performance but i'd say when it comes to tesoro's security crew he is nowhere close to my favorite of the bunch. That Agreed. honor belongs to Tanaka, otherwise known as Tanaka-san, who is the security guard in he- charge of all of the security on Grand Tesoro. And I believe he possesses, uh, what, I think it's the through-through fruit, wh- which basically allows him to go th- in and out of surfaces as he wills. 
he he Edge. also is a uh, he can also uh, get rid of the surfaces. Like basically, he can drop you dro- down a giant pit. Okay. Oh, I, I did forget about that. That's how uh, Luffy and Frankie even got down to the whole like golden desert area. That, oh yeah, I forgot about that. But he, Mister Tonica, is voiced none other than. Damon Mills. Oh God, da- Damon Mills, you beautiful Damon man. Damon Mills. Damon Mills, you might know for such performances as Jugo from Nanbaka, Prince Schwan from Aka 13 Territory Inspection Department, and Yakov Feltzman from Yuri on Ice. I bring all of those three roles up in particular because none of them sound the same, even compared to Tonika. This guy is a fucking wizard. This is voice acting black magic. This guy, like, I, I remember during the Royal Tudor review, which um, Chris Weekamp was was so gracious to join in on. Um, uh, who, seeing I forget. Him, uh, what's the name of his character in Royal Tudor again? Uh, Bruno. Bruno, thank you. He's also so, Bruno from Royal Tudor. So before I even, like, actually got a chance to see these voice actors, uh, this was before I started talking to them on Twitter, but basically we recorded the episode after I'd seen the show, and I, I didn't really know too much about them, and they showed me a picture of Damon Mills. And, oh my god, like, th- this guy is a pretty boy, and I love it. And, you know, I, I joke with him on Twitter a little bit about how he's this this beautiful man, but he's a brilliant voice actor, and... He, the things he's able to do with his voice is amazing. Um, you know, shout out to Damon Mills. Shout out to Chris Weekamp. Um, you guys do an amazing job. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the entire point of this segment is just to give Damon Mills a shout out because everything that he adds, like, because Juko, <laughs> it's a much more subdued performance. Yakov, he's doing old man Russian. And here he's just playing. So it, it's like it's like a it's like a gremlin. It's like a tiny little gremlin man. But it's the fact that it all comes from like the same person. And no, it, every time I hear him in different things, he sounds completely different. And the level of like smugness and energy, like I've got this, Mister Tizzle. Oh, God, I can't. I can't even do it justice. I was almost doing like a stimpy voice for a second, but just I love that. Like the unique laugh he adds, just is. I, everything that he offers to this character is just a smarmy little devil gremlin man, and he pulls it perfectly, and it's so great. And I'll ah. David continues to fucking impress me every time I hear him because he's completely... He's so different in almost every time I have to bring him up. It's... I am honestly continue to be impressed with him. I just thought it was funny when Hardy called him out. It's like, I do not believe a pretty boy, a pretty, like, small boy could do that kind of gruff voice. And then he proved him wrong. And this is proof <laughs> of that because it's the same person. And David Mills... Hats off to you, good sir. This is this is. It, I, I'm not gonna say it is my favorite performance of this movie. That honor belongs to another, but I will say, it is that de- he is definitely an extremely entertaining, energetic, and memorable performance of this stuff. He Arna. he he does leave such a a big impact because again, this is a character that 
is pretty one note. He doesn't have a very um, big combat heavy power. And even in the film, I thought he was probably the weakest of the henchmen. But just the fact that he is enjoying every single second and he... He, he is like the ultimate lapdog to Tesoro and the fact that he's, he keeps like, he, he does that laugh like he's enjoying every second of it. And um, his character is one of the ones that I really latched onto. And, um, you know, I highly enjoyed every second of this performance. Uh, again, Damon. You're probably listening to this because you do listen to these. Uh, thank you so much for this. Uh, thank you to just th- thank you for just making an enjoyable performance. It, it, you had so much fun with it. I had so much fun with it. And when I do get to my history of One Piece, in the you know years down the line, when I get to my history of One Piece of this show, um, you know, my hat will be off to you, good sir. That's going to take, what, t- five years, ten years? That's going to take a while before you even get to past Dressrosha. I wish you luck with that, good sir. But yeah, uh, Damon as Tanaka, no complaints at all. It's amazing. Now, um, so, Zenith, would you like to put your luck to the test, dear madam? Um... It's time for us... It's time for us to play a game of chance, test our luck, and discuss Miss Baccarat. Uh, Baccarat is basically the pretty face escort that tries to take the uh, Straw Hat crew around only to ruse them and get them all caught up in this little game. And she is... She is definitely very sultry and sexy but can definitely kick your ass if you let her get in for the kill if you will basically she puts any of her pretty little fingers on you that you're slipping over banana peels and getting in a world of hurt i don't even know where those bananas come from oh yeah that's another (laughs) line i thought was funny where it's like okay i don't know what happened but that is really funny as soon as like Luffy just slips and, like, eats it. Oh, yeah, Frankie's just like, a banana peel? Well, whatever it is, it's really funny. (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah. Um, (laughs) All right. Uh, As for uh, Miss Baccarat herself, uh, she is played by Amberly Connors. Uh, You might know her for some other roles as Katoli in World End, Akane Hayama from Love Tyrant, and Nozomi Kaminashi from Keijo with seven exclamation points. That is essentially, especially important. Uh, anyways, uh, Zenith, uh, what did you think about Miss Amberlee as Baccarat? I, I liked the role. Um, I'm not going to say it's my favorite performance personally of the uh, Tesoro crew, but what I loved about it was that from the beginning, I did not suspect that she was... Um, pulling one over the straw hats but upon repeated viewings you can kind of tell to like based on how she presents herself and I think that's the mark of a good dub where there's definitely a few reveals in the movie and it's like it's I I kind of see it as uh uh don't don't worry about those orphaned little children that are 
begging for their freedom. Look at this cleavage. Isn't that great? Don't look at those little orphans who are probably starving. And it's like, look, at, look at me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's... <laughs> that's how, that's upon... how I saw it. Uh, uh, upon repeating um, yeah. upon repeated viewings of this movie you can definitely see how she's subtling uh she's subtly manipulating everyone how she like you know when she puts her hands on their shoulders and and whisks them away and and basically controls every single thing and that's that's why she's perfect for the tesoro crew in general but she's sultry she's seductive the fact that she's able to put put one over on Nami, and Nami's manipulative as hell, um, and, and granted money's involved in this entire thing, but Nami is usually able to see through a lot of these ruses, and um, she shows in, in her voice acting that it, she's capable of stringing people along. So I think it's a great performance. I, again, not my favorite, but a very good performance. She definitely brings a lot to the table. I've been getting pretty impressed with Amber Lee Connors as an actress as of late. I, I, I'd I, say she... I, I think she did good in this one. I think I'm not, like, in love with it, mainly because she was just sort of, like, the hot double-crosser, and that was mostly her character. She didn't leave as much of a impression with me, but I still think that Amber Lee Connors does an especially good job with this performance as well. I can agree with that. All right. Speaking of double-crossing hotties, I think it's time we go into the Phantom Thief herself. And yes, I, they explicitly say Phantom Thief Karina strikes again. We are talking about Karina, who is a former acquaintance of Nami, actually, before when she even joined the Straw Hat crew, and before she went such a drastic redesign to where her hair was longer and her boobies were much more pronounced, unrelated. I think, like, her contract for these movies, Nami, is just, she has to be, like, in a bikini, like, half of the movie, if not longer. I think those are the contracts they signed. I think that's just how it works. I think that's, like, every female character, because Robin was in a bikini, there was even, like, a bunny girl in a bikini with the Kame logo on it, which is a great reference well, to I, Dragon it, Ball Z. Well, in fairness, I think, like, the, the whole, it's a whole Vegas-style thing, so you want, like, those, you're trying to get attention at, like, bu bunny girl servants. It makes, that makes sense to me. It's just, Nami's like, okay, girl, you're doing, you're doing espionage right now. Your top's still off. I, I mean, it looks lovely, but it's a little clashing with the rest of the crew. To Anyways, be fair, uh, uh, why is this loud? Um, to be fair, they actually did a really good job giving everyone a multitude of outfits, especially the uh, cat burglar Nami. Thief. Oh yeah, everybody was doing so much dress up in this movie. There were some great ones, and Chopper looked adorable as always. Robin still looks great, and. The fact that you could even fit Frankie in a suit is impressive, considering how much of that is just robot mass at this point. And Anyways, Brooks we're outfits. Getting we're getting off topic. So, what do you think of Karina as a character? Before we discuss her performance. First of all, she's my favorite character in this. Because 
she manages to be one of the most intricate and complex characters in the show. Because you're in you're, the show? Yes. Or in the movie. Wait, in, what? In the show, because you're always second guessing which side she is on. And only until the very end of the movie do you really understand um what she is. She's on doing. nobody's side. She's her own. Exactly, but that that's not something you're able to really get at first glance. At first you think she's with Gil Tesoro, and then you think she's with Nami. Then you think she's betrayed everyone, and then you think Oh wait, no, she didn't. Like th- there's. No, it's it's. I think the alliance was Guild Tesoro, then Straw Hats, then back to Guild Tesoro, back to Straw Hats before sweeping the entire island for herself. And and that's the mark of a good character. Like I'm not gonna say she's the best character in all of One Piece, but I think she's one of the more more complex characters because she has so many layers to her. Um, granted, there's, there's quite a few very complex characters in One Piece, but the fact that... Quite a few is an understatement. But the fact that she's able to keep, keep you guessing, in a movie that, by all numbers, like, by all accounts, you should be able to figure out kind of what's going on, because it's a heist movie, and in a heist movie, they go very, very certain ways... But the fact that she is able to keep you guessing and that you don't know where it's going to go at certain points with her character, especially because they keep introducing the flashbacks with her character and she keeps betraying Nami and you aren't sure how to react to that because Nami always reacts to her like an old friend and she argues with her, but the the, the flashbacks make her seem like um, someone who is completely horrible until the end, and it's this complexity that makes her me like her character, and the voice actor really sells it. Um, and the the person who is portraying this complex little phantom is Michelle Knox. Michelle Knox, you might know from such performances as May and Jesse from very recent like dubs of Pokemon as well as a whole bunch of other Pokemon like sound clips too. Uh, she's also she uh, hang on I just close that tab for a second. Uh, she's also Shiryu Shiryu Chon she's Shiryu from Ikitosen. I'm not pronouncing that name and Sanai Shikigami from Ladies vs. Butler. I gotta say she does a, like, I haven't heard her in a lot of things recently, so I was pleasantly surprised to see that she was in this movie, because her voice sounded so familiar when I first saw it, and I'm like, who is that? Why do I know her? And she's May and Jesse from Pokemon, it makes a lot of sense. But even then, she doesn't really, like, fall into those trappings of those roles. She is her own voice, and she's got a lot to add to this little, like, snarky kind of like unassuming character she's able to pull off espionage she's able to pull off like seductress she's basically a fujiko mine character done by michelle knotts and i think that's really impressive and like you said there really is no way to get a feel for what she's going to do say or think when it comes to the, her actions in this movie and i think that's pretty impressive to keep a second guessing like that and i think michelle michelle does splendidly 
Um, I think Michelle is is fantastic in this role. Um, like I said, my favorite character here, not my favorite voice. We'll get to that, but. What I love here is that she she runs the gamut of so many different things. She has a lot of serious moments too. Uh, she 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 has a lot of manipulative moments. She has a lot of um, snarky moments. She has a lot of moments where she's just arguing with Nami and as friends. She has a lot of charming moments, and she is a very robust voiced character. This is a hard role to pull off, and I, I'm, I was just really, really taken aback because you said Pokemon and Ikitosen. I'm like, wait a second, but she does such a fantastic job here, and uh, just, I love this character. I really want them to bring her back, because she is one of the characters that could fit into the One Piece mythos. The way they actually make it fit with the Arlong backstory is brilliant, and, um, like, I want her to come back, if only so Nami can have another character she can really, um, relate to. Nami really doesn't have a lot of friends outside the Straw Hat crew, and I think it would be great for her to have someone like this character to have as maybe a rival or a friend. Um, uh, you know, it's, she's kind of like Robin in a lot of ways, where she's a very lonely character until she joined the Straw Hats, so I think, um, you know, she should have this character. Granted, she has the entire Kokoyashi village, but they're over there at the village, so. So, uh, I see what you mean. I, I really enjoyed this character too, but I, I at least keep your expectations a little subdued in terms of returning to the narrative, though I do agree that the chemistry that her and Nami share is very strong. Now, I think we've done we've done a lot building expectations tonight. You think so, Zenith? Yes, uh, I I think we've built up and built up and built up, kind of like the opening number of this show. We've, of, we've of had the, a of lot this of movie. the the sort of sideliners as well as the people building the anticipation, but. There's a certain somebody we haven't brought up in all throughout tonight's episode so far. And it's time we bring out tonight's main act. Ladies and gentlemen, Guild Tesoro. Also this... known as my favorite villain in One Piece right now and my favorite voice actor for this movie. And... This is a character with so much charm, energy, depth, and charisma that I loved every single second they were on screen. Everything, even though that you could kind of tell they were going to be a piece of shit, everything involving them from the dance number, the song number, to the scene where they're having a party, to the scene where he almost kills a guy at a party. Actually, I think he does kill that guy. You can't fucking breathe through gold. And everything goes on with the sort of battle of wits, as well as like the main climactic battle. Everything that guild tesoro was in was brilliant and the brilliant brilliant man that brought this character together keith silverstein keith silverstein is in a number of different games anime but for just to keep it small we'll mention that he's been hisoka in hunter hunter 2011 he's the deep sea king in one punch man 
Robert E.O. Speedwagon from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Char Hell yeah. From, Char Asnabol from Mobile Suit Gundam The Origins and Kimimaru from Naruto. Okay, I can... Hey, God, he's so good. I remember I said that uh, Tanaka was not my favorite voice. Key Silverstein's my fucking favorite voice in this movie. Everything that he brings to this character is stupendous, larger than life, so full of energy, entertainment, memorability, but also menace. Like, when he comes to, like, losing it, when you see how much power he actually has, you see why he's so carefree and laid back, because he can fucking end you with his awakened gold powers. Like, that is scary. And the amount of, like, power he exudes, the amount of wealth he exuded is, like... There's some complexity to that. His performance is great. Every second he's on is grand. And I, I have a question. I've, I admit right now, I have not seen uh, Strong World or Z. I want to ask, do any of those go like go into the backstories, tragic backstories, as much or as well as you feel they did with uh, Guild Tesoro? Okay, um, Strong World, definitely no. One of the biggest failings of Strong World, I think, was the fact that they don't really justify the villain. I mean, I haven't read the uh, the build-up chapter, but, like, they, they don't really go into you it in the have movie. To build, you shouldn't have to watch the build-up chapter to understand the movie. Like, there is, a, there is a Heart of Gold special that we admit we have not watched, and we felt it wasn't going to be relevant for this movie as a whole. And as well as, uh, what about Z? Z is a strong contender because the thing is, they go... The, the, the film, film Z is essentially about the villain. And they spend well over, like, half the film on his backstory, on why he is the way he is. And there is a long scene, which I showed in my review, where he says, where, um, the, uh... I, what's his name? Um, okay. Well, uh, to cut you a little short, let me at least uh, say this. Uh, so, in Strong, Will, Strong World, they spent little to no time on the villain. In Z, half of the focus of the movie was building the villain. Now, he... tell me this. How long did they spend explaining to us the backstory of Guild Tesoro. How long do you think? I, I want to say it was like a minute. The, the I, I'd say it's like a minute and a half, two minutes long that they spent just going into who this person was. Like it, It's like near the climax of the movie. And in literally no amount of time, I get this character. It's crazy because um, Film Z, while it took like half the film really building this villain, they had like a five-minute scene kind of like this film where they explained the backstory and you got this guy and why he was doing what he was doing. Here, they don't do that. What they do is like they, they showcase this villain and, and he's here throughout the entire film. You got him, but during a major fight... They give maybe a minute backstory through his own flashback, and 
he became my favorite villain in One Piece. He is... I believe he was like, he. of course, he is a man of wealth and riches, but he was started out dirt poor in the slums, and uh, when he was young, he had a particular attachment to a woman who was named Stella. Stella was basically a slave on the human market that was eventually bought by a celestial dragon, and he himself was bought by a celestial dragon, and I want to bring that up because... One of the most kind of fucking scary moments this character exudes is when he basically kills a man at his party who's basically drunk and laughing, and he's like, I'm the one with the power. I'm the one that decides who gets to laugh. And the fact that you show, like, just the simple, like, torture he's going through this dragon, and that's something he learned from that celestial dragon, like, I'm the one that tells you to get your laugh, which reminds me a lot of Jason, actually, from Tokyo Ghoul, who kind of went through a similar methodology of taking up the torture sequence, and I thought that was powerful. It essentially, he killed that dragon, became powerful in the underworld, got the connections, bought the world government, and then became a man on top, to where he thought, I'm the one with the power now. I'm the one that rules the world now. Nobody's gonna bring me down again. And it's like, it's it's more than just like a charismatic, fun guy who's got a bit of power. This is a scary man, but you know how he got to be fucked up and scary. This is a tragic figure, and while I, I'm never gonna say I really get behind him, but I understand how he got to be. He's a character who, if anything else had been different... He could have been a very, very good man, but because he was he was branded a slave, kind of like fish or tiger in a way, he decided to use his trauma, and instead of helping people, he just decided to become uh, that person. And that's really, in reality, that happens so often, where you see a person who has been hit by tragedy and abused starts abusing others. This is a very, very real character. I love it. Keith does a brilliant job of this. And for the longest time, um, my favorite villain was Rob Lucci. That is That was replaced by uh, Doflamingo in Dressrosa simply because of everything that he does in that arc. But By the way, uh, interrupt you for a second, even though we're not covering it. Rob Lucci and Asshole Spondum do appear in this movie for a couple of minutes as part of CP0. Uh, kind of interrupting that, I just thought I'd bring that up because Rob Lucci is awesome too. Uh, continue, please continue. Um, and yeah, Rob Lucci was my favorite. Uh, I'm really, really happy that it came back. I, I kind of squealed during the theater when I saw him. Um, but yeah... Uh, Rob Lucci was replaced by uh, Doflamingo because he's such a charismatic, interesting villain. He has these powers, and the backstory that he exudes, uh, which I won't get into right now, but like his backstory is fascinating in how he he changes a tragic event into something that you know he just basically goes out and starts killing people. Um, this character is almost like an improved version of Doflamingo, and it's so weird whoa. because... Okay, whoa. <laughs> that's... Though, from what I've heard of Doflamingo, that's big words. Do I know. On. I know. It, it's, it's interesting because 
the thing with Doflamingo is that he's a character who, um, he's a celestial dragon, and because he was found out, villagers basically tortured and killed almost everyone in his family, but he survived because he had hockey, and he found followers, and instead of trying to help other people, every single opportunity that he had to become a good person, he threw it away and said, no, I'm better than everyone, I'm going to prove that I'm a celestial dragon and that you have to bow before me and treat me like royalty. And he became more and more despicable. Basically, he, his rage manipulated him and sort of like corrupted similarly in terms of Gil Tesoro. Yes, but the thing I like more about Gil Tesoro is that he's a character who didn't have anything. He was trying to help the woman he loved. And he got so twisted that he turned into this figure. And you can see in a lot of his actions that he almost hesitates sometimes, but then he goes into that like crazy face and that crazy laugh, and you feel like this tortured character underneath where Doflamingo, there was no saving him because he was just a twisted character. And he was just fun to see, fascinating to see how someone... Um, who could have become good just went so evil. You feel like as terrible as Tesoro is and would become, there there was a path to redemption. There there was a path to redemption, but he didn't take it, and that's even more fascinating. Uh, that's even more fascinating to me because this is this is a both of these characters are dark versions of Luffy because Luffy had tragedy in his past. And instead of using that to become a horrible person, he used that to become a better person. And to see the opposite of that is is very fascinating because you can understand um, a lot of these. I, you and know, that's why that's kind of why they're perfect foils to Luffy because they are what Luffy could have been easily. I, I don't mean to cut you off much but we should probably be moving on okay. though i do think this is a fucking fascinating discussion about the antagonist basically zenith is very passionate about one piece could go on all day though we should move along at the very least though i agree we both agree keith silverstein guild tesoro mwah, perfection and it is the absolute definition Entertainment. Alright, alright. So, we have covered all the characters that we felt were relevant enough in terms of being introduced and relevant for this movie. But, as this is special for the Dub Talk Summer at the Movies, we are able to go into characters and things with long-running shows we haven't had the chance to cover before. So... We are going to take a big undertaking tonight. We are going to discuss the English voices of all nine Straw Hat Pirates and give our thoughts. I know, Zenith, as somebody who especially has watched the sub and the dub, you're probably going to have some words on some of these. Though, we will try not to go too long. We will be splitting these up three by three by three. And uh, our first section of... The straw hats that we will be covering tonight are Roranoa Zoro, Black Leg Sanji, 
and Nico, best girl, fuck you, fight me, Robin. Alright, and the actors who are betraying these characters in English are none other than Zorro is being played by Christopher Sabat, otherwise known for such roles as All Might from My Hero Academia, uh, Piccolo and Vegeta, as well as half of the original DBZ cast from Dragon Ball Z, and Kazuma Kuwabara from Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, Sanchi is voiced by Eric Vale, who you might know as Future Trunks from Dragon Ball Z, Loki from Fairy Tail, and Tomura Shigaraki from My Hero Academia. Uh, Nico Robin is voiced by the lovely Stephanie Young, known for such performances as Arachne from Soul Eater, Olivia Armstrong from Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and Claire from Claymore. <coughs> God, that was a, that was a. I need some water. Give us your thoughts, uh, Zenith, before I go into mine. Um, first of all, I've I've always said this, and I'm gonna say it again, but Zoro, um, Christopher Savat. No. Christopher Sabat as Zoro is the one person who I've never had a problem with, even back in the days where I did not like the Funimation dub. Um, I I always thought that he was perfectly suited for the character, and um, it, he's just a person that brings across this great amount of badass, this great amount of um, gruff determination. And I think it's very much expounded upon in this. I think in recent movies and recent years that he's really grown even better in the character, in, in the role. And so, yeah, I have no problems here. Christopher Sabat is perfect. He basically is Zoro. And I love him in a lot of his roles. I think Zoro is my favorite. Uh, Nico Robin... Um, I'll say I this though. I'll, I'll say this at least when it comes to Zoro. Um, I, I I know from people who even didn't like the four kids dub. That was one of the performances people actually kind of enjoyed. Just the shitty direction and script kind of killed it. Uh, Mark Deirdrickson, I believe it was the original voice of Guts. Um, but yeah, I particularly enjoy uh, Zoro as well. He's definitely grown into it uh, quite a bit as well. Um, too Eric. bad he just doesn't show up. Too bad he just doesn't show up in this movie. He's basically the role of damsel in distress in this movie, when, funny enough, that usually falls to Nami. So, yeah, l let me briefly touch upon that, because that's actually something that I've been wanting to talk about, and something that I've actually gotten flack about. Um, the thing is, in One Piece, especially the films, Nami has really gotten to be the damsel in distress, and there is a big difference here. I, I had fault with with um, a little bit of Film Z and uh, Strong World in general because both of them had Nami as the damsel in distress. Now, in Film Z, Nami was de-aged to a point where she couldn't fight until the very end. And Strong World, she was basically captured, and that was the point of the film. And I thought... Um, it I, I hate to uh, interrupt you, though. I think this is actually a discussion we should probably save when we get to Nami. Oh, okay. All right. Well, just, then you can cut you you can cut this part out then. Uh, you know we don't have to cut it. I just I just thought we should probably save that conversation when we get closer to it. Uh, sorry, I interrupted. Uh, what do you think of Nico Robin as Stephanie Young? 
Originally, um, when they changed over from Four Kids to Funimation, I was a little bit iffy because I was so used to the other one. And I'm not saying Four Kids is good. I don't like Four Kids dub at all. Um, you got used to Veronica Taylor, even with the Southern drawl. I thought that was what the character was supposed to be. Granted, I was very young at the time, and looking back, yeah, I don't really like Four Kids that much now. Um, but it was what I grew up with, and so seeing um, the new character, I was like, eh. It has grown on me. I, I still think Nico Robin is a bit iffy at times, but in this film, she is on point. I think I, every... I would argue... I would argue you about uh, Stephanie Young being iffy, mainly just because uh, Annie's Lobby happened. Did you ever watch the dub of it in Annie's Lobby? No, no, I have. I... You need to. Okay, yo. Okay, that's why you're saying she's iffy. Yeah, okay. no, from Zenith, from my experience. Zenith. Watch the, whenever you get to the dub of Annie's Lobby, you will. You will completely change your mind on Stephanie Young as Nico Robin. Because holy shit. Holy shit. Alright, uh, I'm going to state this officially right here. Um, and I'm going to point people to this for the future. Going forward, from this point onward, from the Captain Kuro arc, I will not only be covering the sub, but the dub of One Piece as well. I have, in previous... Uh, in previous arcs, I have stated that I wasn't going to be doing that, but once I got into the OVA of of Gonzak, I decided that I was going to cover the sub, too, because I know so many good voice actors that work for Funimation, and I want to highlight that, and because I think a lot, a lot of my perception of Funimation was wrong at the okay. time. Okay, so at the very least, you do you did enjoy Stephanie Young in this film, even if mm -hmm. you thought you've had little problems with her in the past. Now, what about Eric Vale as Sanji? I've never had any opinion other than this is the best Sanji performance ever. Even better than the sub. Ooh, big big names, big words. I I really I really think Eric Vale brings a lot to this character, so I actually will agree with you strongly there. Uh, Eric Vale just embodies the character so much, and the fact that he he's able to get across both this badass nature of this character while still being goofy, and I think at times, um, Sanji in the sub is a bit too goofy sounding. To be believable, if that makes sense. But at least this, at least in this, he's got no fake Brooklyn accent with the good old lollipop because that's how we do it in Brooklyn. Oh God, I hated that. I, I, I even those, back those then. Those were dark days. Dark <laughs> days that we've grown out of, thankfully. God bless you, Funimation. Eh, uh, boy. But you're you're a big fan of Eric Vale as Sanji, and that's still applicable in this. Film. Yeah, I I've met him in person. Um, I've stated that he's the best Sanji. Like, he's a great guy, and Eric Vale deserves his success. And if I see him again, I'm gonna tell him again. And if he's watching this, a uh, great job. <laughs> Maybe in the future you can be in history of One Piece. Hint, hint. It's probably not gonna happen, but. 
I respect your ability to shill, my friend. <laughs> I respect it very much so. Anyways, now that we've uh, covered the badasses of the Straw Hat crew, it's time for the comedic relief crew when push comes, but when push comes to shove, they'll fuck you up. It's time to talk about Brooke, Tony, Tony Chopper, and uh, and burp. And burp. And burp. <laughs> no, the burp is preceding the glory and majesty that is Usopp. No, no, you the have to say it right. It is not Usopp anymore. It is his Lord God Usopp. You're right. His Lord God Usopp. God. I know that's the fucking coolest. Like, Soch King from God Usopp. Like, he's the best. If anybody's out there, I'm, I'm going to make this ultimatum. If your claim is that Usopp is the worst of the Straw Hat Pirates, you are wrong, and I don't want to associate with you. I will fight you because God, God Usopp and Usopp in general is the best straw hat. He's he's got some really strong things. But it's time for us to discuss who is performing these characters in English. Uh, Brooke is played none other than by the wonderful Ian Sinclair, who you might know for such performances as Weiss from Dragon Ball Super. Bardroy from Black Butler, and Dandy from Space Dandy. Uh, Chopper is played by the wonderful Brina Palencia, who you might know for such performances as Toka Kirishima from Tokyo Ghoul, Juvia Loxar from Fairy Tale, and Minoru Grape Juice Little Shit himself, Mineta, from My Hero Academia. And of course... God Usopp is played by Sonny Strait, very much known for roles such as Krillin from the Dragon Ball franchise, Koro-sensei from Assassination Classroom, and Mace Hughes from Full Metal Alchemist. Now, which of these three do you think we should start with first? I, I want to save Usopp for last, so pick whether you want to talk about uh, Brooke, uh, Ian Sinclair, or Brina Palencia. Um, I think we should start with Chopper. Okay. Uh, Chopper is goddamn adorable, precious. I love everything about this little child. But he is one of the most, like, even though he's goofy and stuff, he's one of the most competent members of the crew in that he's making sure they don't die. But he's got a lot of really badass moments himself. And... Honestly, every time I think about his backstory, it still breaks my fucking heart. Um, Chopper in general uh, is a, is is one of my favorite characters. He has a great backstory. He has um, great fighting ability, and he's a doctor. Um, I think earlier on during the Funimation dub, I was kind of iffy on his voice because it's very very um, high pitched. It is. But, it has since okay. grown on me, but I think I also think that Brina's really grown into the performance too. Like when when push comes to shove, she can pull. She can pull out the big moments really well, and I've she, been impressed with that. 
she has really gotten a lot better, and I think it really goes to show that uh, she understands this character more now. My only problem, and it gets me every single time, when she changes forms, like when she's the big, gruff, like, normal size... it's still the same voice. It's still the same voice. I have a question. I have a question, though. Is that the case in the subs as well? It, it is not. Are you sure? I don't quote me on this because because I, I uh, feel very much so if if it that was a similar circumstance in the Jap in the Japanese, then it's probably going to be a very similar circumstance in English as well. That's see, see he, here's my experience. I've read the manga. The manga is where I have most of my knowledge. And I have seen many major moments in the anime. And a lot of, you know, I grew up with the anime. Um, it just, I can't recall off the top of my head if it's exactly the same in the sub. I do know okay. the monster point is different. Because, okay. you know, when he goes into monster point, he goes it's like a howling. Roar. It's a ferocious yes. beast. It's a roar. Yeah, okay, I, I, I just, I didn't want to make the false that that was with Brina's performance if that was something that was also taken from the subs as well. Now, I, I'm not going to say Brina's a bad actor. Uh, no. I'm not going to say... Thing that, it's just it's less a thing about you disliking Brina and more that that's just a pers personal quirk between that performance that irks you the wrong way. Yes. I understand, I understand. Now, <sighs> Ian fucking Sinclair... Um, I know GG's talked about him more than often, but he's fucking perfect as Brooke. Like, funny enough, he was also, uh, a voice actor that actually debuted in Strong World. Like, he was cast before they actually got to Thriller Bark, believe it or not. That's, that was the case. And even then, people were like, holy shit, he's perfect. He's perfect. And honestly... I just finished Thriller Bark, like, in its entirety. Oh, God. Everything hurt. Everything about his character and that performance hurt me. It still hurts when I think about Biggs' brew. And the fact that you can take a story about a baby whale and a skeleton man who makes shitty puns and has a fucking afro work is a testament to Oda as a writer because I oh god I'm fucking tearing up right now. Fuck. <laughs> the the fact that they even brought Laboon back because I didn't expect them to do that, but like it's like three hundred episodes later or more and they like bring it back and they make you cry. Um I said this back in my Strong World review. Ian Sinclair was born to play Brooke. The first time I saw him on screen, I was completely sold. I'm in love with this. And then I saw not only his speech of, uh, you know, about living. Um, he, that, that entire speech is brilliant where he's just like, it's not enough to just go on living uh, because death of the death. Uh, death is not an apology. Exactly. De I death. love that scene. I Ooh. love that scene. Oh, he, he sells that. He sells the Bink Sake song. Um, and I honestly think he does almost as good a job as the Seiyu in that nope. song. And that, that is that is saying something. Like, 
the Seiyu, um, the Seiyu is great, but the song really sold me. But here, he's like, uh, it's like, there's only one minor problem I had with that scene. But, like, Ian Sinclair, so, so good. Here is no different. Um, he, he gets the shitty puns down pat. And actually, uh, when you get a chance, watch the little extra thing with the One Piece actors. He makes one of the shittiest pirate puns I didn't even expect. Like, it was like, I assumed it was going to be R, but it's like, uh, okay, let me just tell you right now. The, the shitty pun was, uh, what is a pirate's uh, favorite letter aside from the letter R? They're really big on the sea. Oh. <laughs> but that's just, that's just Brooke. And, and as soon as that is like, you are not just Ian Sinclair as Brooke. Brooke is Ian Sinclair, and it's perfect. And it's just everything it's just about like, to laugh he, at the thing. He, he embodies the character. And, and from the, the moment he appears on screen, from just the opening sequence in this film, uh, I salute you. I salute you, Ian, Ian Sinclair. If you ever watch this, uh, or any of the other reviews I've done, and I say this every time, but I, I must repeat it, thank you. Thank you, because... Seriously, just, uh, Zedif, uh, what do you think it says? Actually, go watch the Binx's Brew thing done in English. It's fucking... It's... Woo! Anyways. Oh no, I I I have seen that in English. I have seen okay, that. Okay, good. And and the death is never an apology speech. I saw both of those, and that was what initially sold me. But yeah, Ian Sinclair, fantastic. Perfect. Perfect. I Thank agree. you. I agree. And now, Sunny Straight, Sunny Straight, Sunny Straight. This is why I need to tell you uh to fucking watch the Annie's Lobby. Excuse me. Why, is, why am I burping every time I talk about Usopp? I feel like that must be a sign or something. No, because, like, while I feel like uh, Annie's Lobby really shows how fucking perfect uh, Stephanie Young is as Nico Robin, that's also the arc that really showed that Usopp as Sunny Strait is goddamn perfection. Because that man has it all. He brings out the comedic zany beats... But he brings the heart. He brings the soul. He is just the guy of the group. Everybody else has, like, weird, freaky shit going on about them. Usopp is just a guy with a slingshot. But he proves himself as a competent member, as a crazy strong bastard on his team, a valued comedic asset as well. And he's also the one that manages to beat luck itself in this movie. He And also... Just since we're talking about this movie, he does a goddamn Richard Nixon-esque impression when he's oh doing God. like the, when he's impersonating oh one of the dragons. You will let me through, and it's just oh God. Sunny Straight as so Usopp playing the Celestial Dragon is the stuff of legends. Like I, I want that on repeat because oh my God, he is so hilarious. Um, Usopp in general, Sunny Straight was perfect from the beginning to end. I've never, ever, uh, no, I, I have always thought that Sunny Straight as Usopp was the best thing ever. Because not only does he get the comedic timing right, but the thing is, 
he embodies the humanity of this character so much that I just, I have fallen in love with his performance. And uh, the more and more I see of it, the more I'm just like, he is badass. He, he is able to get across God Usopp, but still able to show the humanity that this is just a guy. And, and Usopp is my favorite character of the Straw Hats, which is why I've taken so long to get to the Kuro arc, because I have so There's much, so much to, to talk about. There's so much to talk about. But yeah, yes. no, uh, Sonny Strait, this is, like, he he's, he's really proven myself. Like, I used to just think of him as, like, the Krillin and Usopp, but he's proven himself as probably, like, one of the most proven, versatile actors at Funimation, and I've become increasingly a big fan of his work as as I've been doing dub talk, and Sonny as Usopp is fucking amazing, and that's all I will say to that. Now, <clears throat> I think now it's time for the main three pirates of this movie, as well as our leading man or woman in themselves, depending on the context. It is time for us to discuss the final three straw hats of this crew. Uh, Frankie, the super cyborg himself, Nami, the conniving, greedy, little archae... Okay, is she a map maker, archaeologist? Uh, I'm trying to remember what her role is in the crew. She's the navigator. Navigator, thank you, thank you. As well as motherfucking Monkey D. Luffy, the captain of the Straw Hat Pirates and the future King of the Pirates. Now, the actors and actresses performing these characters in English. Uh, Frankie is played by Patrick Seitz, who is known for such performances as Dio Brando from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure asshole dad himself endeavor from my hero academia and agni from black butler nami is played by lucy christian otherwise known for such performances as ochako uraraka from my hero academia elsie from the world god only knows and birdie from birdie the mighty decode and luffy is played by Colleen Clankenbeard, otherwise known for such performances as Urza Scarlet from Fairy Tale, Momo Yayorozu from My Hero Academia, and Riza Hawkeye from Full Mill Alchemist. So, I'd say we should actually leave Nami for last, because she is the star of this movie. Very, like, there is no debate about that. There is no debate about that. Yes. I think we should probably start off with uh, Frankie. Yeah, um, when I first heard Patrick Seitz as Frankie, um, I was pleasantly surprised because he's not someone who I would peg for Frankie, but that gruff, uh, manly voice is great. But he's able to pull pull off the really like the super energy of Frankie. It's basically, what if Hulk Hogan was a robot? That's basically what I gathered from Patrick Seitz doing Frankie. And I, I think this is one of his uh, his better roles 
because especially in this movie he's able to get across different parts of that character and he does some really funny things he he has a lot of these moments where you don't normally see him um, being very casual you normally see him in in uh, I'm gonna punch you mode or where he's freaking out about something or about his ship but he gets a lot of more uh, subtle, funny, or quiet roles in this movie, and I think it really suits the character. I've always liked, uh, since I heard uh, Patrick Seitz as Frankie, I've always liked the voice, but here I think he really, really ups his game, and I think he brings it in this film. Yeah, Patrick Seitz is always an actor that impresses me. I, I think this was definitely one that a lot of like One Piece fans were definitely a little mixed on because it is so it sounds like his Japanese actor is a lot more high pitched and this is a much like gruffer, deeper voice, but I still think Patrick Seitz is able to pull all of it off regardless. And he's got a lot of care into this persona that he's built with frankie and he gets a lot to do in this movie too he's basically the other member that's doing the behind the scenes espionage with luffy so he gets a lot of on-screen chemistry with both him and ray's max and he gets a lot to do with this and i think he shows off some of his stuff and i really like frankie a lot you want to hear a controversial uh, you want to hear a controversial opinion I, I would like to hear a controversial opinion. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would very much like to hear a controversial opinion. I live for the fucking fire, fire stuff. I actually think Frankie is better dubbed than subbed. What? Do tell. Um, I just think that he has more range in his performance than the sub. Like... Uh, in in the sub in the sub, it's much more about him being all wacky and crazy and and perverted, and they really play up that part of his character. But he has more humanity than that, and that's what I've loved about watching the the dub. Is that Real they talk? Re- I never got that he was a pervert in English, at all. Like I don't I don't yeah. think that was ever something that crossed my mind, and I think. That kind of works for its better, because he never struck me as, like, a pervy, skeevy character. He just struck me as kind of like this macho, this sort of macho idiot, but with a heart of gold. The only reason they call him a pervert is because he wears a Speedo, and I don't think oh, that's of course, of course. fair. Um, so I really think the direction they took with the dub was actually much better for the character, um, I mean, I still have yet to see a lot of the, like, I haven't seen the Ennies Lobby in English, so I don't know, like, the debut of this character, but from these films that I'm seeing right now, I'm just like, he's so human, and he's so relatable, and I love the voice that they give him. Alright. Okay, now, this is one I definitely know has had some controversy, and I think you probably have some opinions on it yourself. What do you think of Colleen as Monkey D. Luffy? Um, on this show, on Dub Talk, you've heard me say quite a few times that I don't like a lot of the gruffer voices that Colleen Clinkenbeard usually tries to to do, um, because you know when when she when she goes into a certain like 
when she goes into a certain performance, it can tend to be forced. And I've said this before about Luffy in the past that I didn't like it that much. And I've said with, I think it was Danganronpa, another role that I th I didn't really care for that much. Um, here, oh my god, this is her best Luffy performance. This is amazing. Really? Yes, really, I, really. I, I, you know... In, in the past two films, um, in, in film Z, I really started to say, okay, maybe it's gotten better. But here, I had no problems here. I was like, it, it's almost like she morphed into the character because I could never tell when... I could never tell it was a performance. And that's a big thing for me, is because when you have a character, I should look at that character and not see a voice actor i should see that character and in the past sometimes with luffy there were times where um you could have distinguished between the two basically yes okay and I, I i definitely think that yeah colleen's definitely really grown into this performance and she pulls some great stuff she pulls some great action screams in this especially the final climactic battle where she even uses uh, where they, uh, what's, what's it called? Uh, Bound Man. Like, when they pull off Gear Bound 4. Man, that was, a, that was a badass moment, too. Um, that was actually my first time seeing Gear 4, so I was kind of excited when I saw this in theaters, because I'm like, oh my god! It's um, so cool! Like, it should look stupid, but it actually looks really cool. In, in, like, there's so much behind it. I love the gears. Uh, I can't wait to get into them. I know that's, like, everyone's favorite part about Luffy. Um, but, but uh, the f all in all, you're, you, you're very impressed with Colleen in this movie. She's come such a long way. And the fact that she's able to do this performance this well now is, like, Colleen, I don't know if you watch this, whatever, but you, you have come such a long way. I'm giving you kudos right now uh just great job keep doing that great work thank you okay now uh i cut you off about a conversation we were having earlier about this because i want to save this for this section we were discussing earlier about how in the past two movies nami's role has basically been damsel in distress or ridden out of the movie what's notable about uh film gold she is basically center stage of this entire film and here is the difference in the past two films there is no reason why she had to be the damsel in distress here Zoro is the one to attack Tesoro first because that's Zoro he would do that and he gets captured because the guy has gold manipulation powers there was literally no way for anyone to fight him at that point. So it makes sense that Zoro got captured and he's immobile. He can't do anything. So I'm fine with that. I, but in the past few movies, Nami was de-aged by one of the characters. I mean, Robin and Brooke were also de-aged, but they were still at a point where they could fight. Not Nami. And Nami was a central kidnapped figure in Strong World. That was the point of the movie. The whole point 
and purpose of that film was that Nami was being captured and everyone has to save them, and they did another version of Arlong where they were going to attack Kokoyashi Village. So that was the whole point. But they could have used anyone else. And I'm not saying it was particularly bad, but the fact that they keep focusing on Nami as this character who has to be captured or has to have this traumatic past um, when they haven't done anything with Sanji, it, it hurts. Like, they specifically do this to bring up... Uh, a, a, basically, they they, oh. they want to traumatize her as a character, and I'm just like... Oh. Okay, like, I, I, I know there's a lot to say, but I will say that you do make up good points. But the thing that's notable about uh, Film Gold, this is her movie. Bar none, no argument, everything with her and Karina, that this is a heist, that this is like a whoever or whoever falls for ruses loses kind of thing this is her moment this is her inner element this is her time to shine and after all she's been through through the other two movies it's more than deserved this now. film this film serves so much for her character and the the moment she first spoke and the, the moment where she entered Tesoro and started, like, freaking out over the gold and, like, hatched out her plans and all this other stuff, I'm like, this is Nami's movie. This, vocally and, and, and physically and mentally and emotionally, this is Nami's movie. And I think that's really good for her character in general. Now, speaking of character and vocally, Lucy Christian, what do you think? This is her best performance. Normally, I, I think this is her best performance, period, because she does great in the show, she does great in some of the other movies, but here, what I really love is her range. Because she runs so many gamuts in this film. She she freaks out about the gold. She's all about this and that. She she has this emotional moment with, with Karina. Uh, Karina. And she has all these points where she goes from serious to arguing like children to being happy and merry and she gets so many badass moments, even from the very opening scene where she's just like, oh, by the way, we have no money. And she completely fries an entire crew of pirates with her thunder tempo. Nami needs to get more badass moments. And this film was so good for that because she is a strong character. Mentally, she is emotionally strong. But also, she has these powers that people don't make use of. And I feel like a lot of the time, Oda just kind of puts it aside. But here, completely every single bit of her character gets um, a boost. And you see her use her thunder tempo and her... Uh, her. So this is, Nami, this is Nami basically at her best completely throughout the entire movie. 
This is peak Nami before her upgrade in Zoe, because in Zoe she gets the perfect climate. Well, no, not perfect climb attack because that's what she has right now. But she gets the um the uh I forget what the the sorcery climb attacked, which got is it, her 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 best weapon ever. So like this is right before that, but she still reaches peak Nami. This is her inner element, and she works it. And I'd also say Lucy Crispin completely works it. She owns it. Every time she's on screen, she's pulling all the Nami-esque ruses of, like, sedu seduction, impersonation, being a little trickster, kicking some ass. The fact that, by the way, they had to keep that entire fucking double-crossing plan from Luffy because they knew Luffy was too dumb to get it is kind of amazing. That like, was they, brilliant. They, they thought ahead of everything. And the fact that Nami is, like, the ringleader in all of this... And the fact that Lucy Christian adds so much to that performance, as well as, like, everything they do to make this, like, a thievery heist movie, all she adds to her past, as well as, like, what it adds to her character now, this is her movie, Lucy Christian's amazing, and this is peak Nami at, like, some of the characters' absolute best that she hasn't probably seen in some time. I, I think it's interesting, too, that she was able to fool the audience with that plan because from the moment that they got caught and had to impersonate Celestial Dragons, I thought they were going off plan. But that was still kind of part of the plan that they had, like, pulled off, like, one over Luffy. I'm like, Everything was according to Keikaku. Everything. And translator note, Nami knows how to plan. Basically. And you know what? I think we can take it from there. So, uh, let's do our brief final thoughts of this movie. For me, I would say that this is a very strong entry to the series. As Okay, no, no, no. It is a strong entry of the series. It is not a strong entry to the series. There's a whole lot going on there in terms of little Easter eggs, references to the past, and, like, probably some major spoilers. But I'd say as, like, a solid film and adventure, this is a separate entry but adds a lot to the franchise completely. There's some great characters, there's some great interactions, and the dub all around is strong, memorable, and outstanding. What about you? Okay, so um, I'm going to try to be semi-brief, but I do have a lot to say. Okay, I'd say give it, like, I'll give you, like, uh, a couple minutes, but then we are going to have to plug and wrap this up. Okay. Um, One Piece Film Gold is, to me, the single greatest One Piece film ever made. Granted, I haven't seen all the films. I have seen the first one. I have seen a couple of the middle ones, and I saw the recreation of both the Alabasta and Drum Island arc, um, in addition to Film Z, Film uh, Strong World, and the one we're talking about today. With that being said, though, what, what this film does is it takes the strength of every single character, and it really just... It, it, it takes these strengths and brings it up to 11. It has every single character at their finest, even some of the characters that don't get enough screen time, like Brooke. 
I think Brook, Chopper, Nami, especially do not get enough screen time, this is their movie, and it really, really works. But it almost feels like a recreation of Dressrosa with a different villain, and it improves upon Dressrosa. A lot of people have problems with the length of Dressrosa, so if the you... fact that it's like a hundred episodes long, especially. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a long arc. It's emotional, but it is very long. So if you don't like the length of Dressrosa, watch this film. Because it does a lot of things actually better than Dressrosa. Uh, I'm not going to say it's entirely better than the arc, but the villain improves upon uh, Doflamingo even more. And I'm just, I'm in awe at what they were able to do with this. Um, film right. Z... Uh, hold on, I, I just have one more thing to say. Okay, okay. Uh, Film Z was the emotional core of the movies, and I still think Film Z has uh, a better story to tell uh, from a villain perspective because it actually makes you feel for this tragic figure, and at the end, I was actually rooting for the villain. But here, in, in Film Gold... In, in a minute, they were able to get us to grasp this villain and feel for him and understand while still rooting for the for the heroes. Um, there's so much to love about this film. It is wonderful. I give it an 11 out of 10. You give it two gold thumbs up that you look at, and then you're like, why are my thumbs gold? And then you realize you're a golden statue, and then you're trapped forever. Pretty and much. with that, ladies and gentlemen, we bring tonight's entertainment to a close. The curtain falls, and it's time for us to do our plugs. If you enjoyed One Piece as well as have any interest in One Piece Film Gold, you can buy it now on DVD and Blu-ray combo pack, as well as find the entirety of almost the entirety of the One Piece anime dubbed, which is currently up to past the time skit in Fishman Island. You can watch all of the dub on Funimation now, as well as the entirety of the sub on Funimation or Crunchyroll as well. If you like this episode of Dub Talk Summer at the Movies, there are several more that'll be on the way in the coming weeks. As for if you enjoy Dub Talk, you can follow us on the Dub Talk podcast at our Twitter, our Tumblr, and our Instagram accounts, which we regularly update our Twitter, as well as occasionally post to Tumblr and Instagram. If you like the content you see here, please give us a subscribe, press the subscribe button, tell us that we're great, like and subscribe us, or tell us that we're shit. Tell us that we are the worst and stubs forever suck. Do that. It gives us so much energy and love to know that you loved us so much that you thought we were worth saying we're shit. Anyways, like, comment, subscribe. We love all that and much. Zedif, where can the lovely, beautiful people find your personal accounts and what you do online? Um, I am available at Zenith Rule. That is my Twitter account, and that is where I uh, talk about all my stuff that I'm doing and uh, my musings and stuff like that. But I also have uh, a Facebook page at facebook.com slash zenithrule. 
I have a fan page. Uh, just look up Zenith Rule on Facebook, and I have my fan page there as well. And my videos you can find at youtube.com slash zenithwillreview. Um, I have a bunch of stuff planned. I'm currently working right now on the Zen movies of Tokyo Drift, which will be done by the time this episode airs. But I'm working on a few different things. I have Final Fantasy Soul of Chaos that I have planned. I have a, another History of One Piece. Captain Crow is going to be starting very soon. I'm going to be working on more Doctor Who stuff. Uh, movies in terms of anime. Um, Food Wars, the box set, was just pre-ordered. So I may just... Um, move Afro Samurai and touch upon Food Wars because fuck yeah, it's Food Wars. I have a lot planned. There's a and possibility some of those may even be discussed on a certain podcast, if you will. Hint, hint, plug, plug. Anyways, uh, as for me, you can find me on my Twitter at Mangaman9000. Uh, you can find me as well on the Funimation forums regularly helping out, hanging out there, as well as you can also find me on Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where we talk about anime. Uh, recently, we just recorded a big anime expo episode, and that was a whole lot of fun. Hardy joined me on that one. And with that, I think we can call it a night. Now, Zenif, this has been a very fun time. Zenif's a big One Piece fan, so I feel this has been a long time coming. So, yeah. This has been very great because I don't have a lot of chance to talk about recent One Piece things. Um, I am doing a Zoark uh, podcast, actually recording that today. It'll probably be out um, by the time this this episode is out. But anyway, there there's stuff coming. Um, but before You're we very, leave, very busy. Oh, before we leave, I want to say something. Go ahead. These voice actors put a lot of work into what they do. And as, you know, my recent, um, you know, Danganronpa Let's Play Dead show, it, it is very hard to be a voice actor. So why not follow these guys on Twitter? Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of these people. They usually have Twitter accounts. Search them out. I know at Search least Damon Mills, tell... Chris. They're good people. They're great people. Tell them that they are great. Tell them that they are good. Don't ask them if you can be a voice actor, or don't say how much that dubs suck and subs rule. That's just being an asshole. Be respectful. Be a good Samaritan. That's what we could say. But All anyway, right. give them your, your support, and uh, I, I believe that does it for us. Thank you all very much, you lovelies. Otok otaku on, my friends. And remember, that's entertainment. Good night, everybody.